Before turning to this week's meditation, I'd like to invite all the podcast listeners to visit the new webpage spiritualbatteries.com where the podcasts are going to be posted uh, from now on as well as other information and possibilities. And in particular, those uh, young adults in the Dublin area uh, to find information about an activity that we will be having starting the first Wednesday in September uh, in Our Lady Queen of Peace Parish in Dublin. Um, all of that information is available on the website spiritualbatteries.com and for those who are in the Dublin area it will be a wonderful occasion to join us for adoration, for prayer, for uh, conversation about philosophical topics as well which they will be made available on the webpage in the upcoming months. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. A couple days ago, someone shared with me an app for photos, one of these apps where you can color palettes and the, the color saturation of photos and maybe just trying to make your photos and uh, graphic design look better. And I think all of us, at least even with just the, the camera on our phone, we have experience of how you can play with photos. You can saturate their color, you can draw out their dramatic contrasts um, that kind of stand out more sharply than they actually do uh, when we see them in ordinary circumstances. And in a similar way, there are events in the Gospels, encounters that Jesus has, that draw out in a more dramatic way essential parts of our Christian lives. And I'd like us this evening to pray with one of those encounters that is indeed quite dramatic. It's narrated in St. Mark's Gospel. It's Jesus's encounter with a man who was possessed diabolically. And I'd like us to focus our attention, try to see in our minds so that we can contemplate Jesus's action and the significance it has for our lives, that man, after he's been liberated from that possession, after he's been set free, sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to Jesus teach, watching everything that Jesus says, to fix our attention on this man who is finally clothed, having been running around in a very dehumanized way without clothing, who still has the scars and the cuts visible on his face from when, in that horrible state, he would smash himself with rocks and with stones, as St. Mark says in the Gospels. And now he's in his right mind, and, and there is, even though his face is scarred and his hair surely is uncut and wild and unkempt, he's at peace. There's 
personality, life in his eyes and in his face. And this dramatic scene, as I said, going back to the original image of the photograph, what it draws out is, in a very highlighted way, what being a Christian involves. He's clothed again, so his dignity has been restored. It's been given back to him. He is looking at Jesus, drinking in his presence. There's something so tremendously simple and powerful about that. That's why I think it's a, it's a helpful image to contemplate and to pray about. This person who's received his humanity back. He still has the wounds, he still has the scars, he still has a way to go. But his only focus right now is just looking at Jesus. He listens to Jesus. Thrilled that now his mind can be at peace. He had been liberated from legion, the demon had said, because there were many. And that bedlam, that, that madness, that torture, that tension that he had experienced for a very long time in his soul, he's now free from it. And he can listen at peace and hear the truth that he had always hungered for. So, and he's at peace. He's at peace. So in all of this, we see essential elements of our Christian life. Receiving our humanity back, contemplating Jesus, listening to Jesus, being at peace. As we try to pray right now, as we are in God's presence, let us remind ourselves of that simple essence of our Christian faith so that we can live it right now looking at Jesus and listening to Jesus. And to help this, I'd like to read some advice from St. Teresa of Avila precisely on this point. The importance of looking at Jesus the way that that man who had been liberated was sitting at Jesus' feet and contemplating him. This is what she says. I'm not asking you now to think of him or to form numerous conceptions of him or to make long and subtle meditations with your understanding. I am asking you only to look at him. Who can prevent you from turning the eyes of your soul just for a moment if you can do no more upon this Lord? Is it such a great problem for you to turn the eyes of your soul from outward things and sometimes to look at him? See, he is only waiting for us to look at him. If you want him, you will find him. He longs so much for us to look at him that it will not be for lack of effort on his part if we fail to do so. St. Teresa, who experienced the heights of Christian prayer, is encouraging us to really believe that, in a sense, it's this simple. Look at him. And she very helpfully says, just for a moment, if you can do no more, with the eyes of our heart. 
Because when we look, we are attracted and drawn. Love enters through the eyes. And that is what this man who was liberated was doing at Jesus' feet. This is what you and I want to do right now before the Blessed Sacrament. It's what we can do at any moment during the day, no matter where we are, to just look at him. And to stop looking at my concerns about what I have to do next. Stop looking at myself and how I've just performed. Stop looking at those things that send me on kind of, you know the way that those, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen gerbils, they run around on wheels and they're in little cages. I don't know what you call those little wheels, but sometimes you can kind of feel like you're on one of those wheels. And, And a lot of times that has to do with what we're looking at. And we start running and chasing that. What St. Teresa says is true because the grace is always there. She says, it will not be for lack of effort on his part if we do not turn and look at him. And when we look at him, we try to listen as well. This liberated man at Jesus' feet is, of course, a very moving picture It's a very moving image. And it's moving because of the contrast. I haven't read the Gospel passage. I just want us to call it to mind. But St. Mark, with, with a lot of detail for Mark's standards, tells us about how this, this man lived like an animal among the tombs, howling and, and wailing and cutting and smashing himself with stones. Of course, the symbolism, I mean, the significance of him living among the tombs, in other words, being like a walking dead person, degraded more like an animal than like a human being because he says that they tried to chain him. And the reason they tried to chain him is to be the people of the village because they were scared of him because he was violent and they were afraid that they would be hurt by him. But he would break the chains because of this superhuman diabolical strength. And St. Mark wants us to see very vividly, as the first apostles saw, how evil was warping and destroying the humanity of this man. Until Jesus freed him. And here, precisely, I said, you know, this scene draws out the drama of essential aspects of our Christian life. And one of them that can draw out, we want to give thanks to for right now in our prayer, is that the love that Jesus has for me, for you, is truly salvation. Salvation from evil. When you and I say that Jesus loves us, that God is love, we're not saying, well, you know, in my prayer and my Christian beliefs provide me a certain emotional experience that I find satisfying and helps me in various difficult moments of my life. But hey, maybe there's other things that can do that for other people and it's kind of all the same. Let's remind ourselves that we as Christians believe very simply that Jesus is the Savior. In other words, believing in him or not believing in him matters. It makes a difference. And it makes a difference because something is at stake. 
and it's really big. And there's an old-fashioned word that the church has used from the very beginning, and it's called salvation. What happens to my life now and in the life to come? And this is important not just you know, to think about heaven and hell and what might come after life, but it's important because every single one of us, and I've always emphasized this in our times of prayer, every single one of us longs to be loved. We hunger for that. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sometimes it's more noticeable, other times less. But not only we love, long to be loved, we long for a love that will last. And in this Jesus' encounter with the, this person who is possessed by evil, something that happens a lot in the Gospels, Jesus' confrontation with personalized evil, not only do we long for a love that will last, but we long for a love that can deal with the horrible things in the world. Not just that can survive them, but that can conquer them. To really experience the fullness of Jesus' love, I need to also experience it as salvation. A love that is stronger than evil, that can deal with evil. Now normally, well normally, I think probably always, you and I don't experience raw evil as this man did. We're more used to weaknesses and the kind of petty sins that follow from that. You know, laziness, crankiness, you know, these sorts of things. A little bit of envy here, a little bit of vanity there. And yet, we know because we read the news, because we hear things, because we see what goes on and perhaps what maybe people have suffered in their own lives, we know that horrible things happen in the world. And not just in the world, they happen in the church. And by horrible things, I mean evil things. This week, as we prepare for the coming of Pope Francis, and news is circulating and all this sort of stuff, there's very much the church is wrestling with reform because of the scandal of evil, the horrific things that were done by certain of her ministers in this country and in other countries. And that is nothing but evil. And it's something that we don't have to stick our head in the sands about. It's not something that we have to airbrush away. It's something that we have to do reparation for. And reparation is, is it where we strive to put love where love has been lacking. And it's something that needs to invite us to a greater faith in Jesus' love as salvation. He can deal with and sort with this evil. And that is why I come to the church, because that is where I find that salvific love. Cardinal Ratzinger, a number of years ago in one of his many books, was speaking about the church. And he was not speaking about kind of the, the, the current abuse crises or anything like this, but, but you know, the, the church and the different turmoils that have always accompanied her history throughout the centuries said this, trying to get at the heart of why we t- 
turn to the church, why we need the church. He said, the essential element in the church is not the presence of likable and charming people, although their presence is certainly desirable and they will always be present. What is essential is her exousia. And he uses the Greek word there for authority. What is essential is her exousia. The church has been given full power and authority to pronounce salvific words and to perform salvific actions, both of which no person by herself can obtain. No one can make his own or control the eye of Christ or the eye of God. But it is precisely with this eye that the priest speaks when he says, this is my body. And when he says, I forgive you your sins. It is not the priest who forgives, this would not matter much, but it is God who forgives them. And this changes everything. This changes everything within the church we find the salvific words of Christ. The same salvific words that drove out legion from this poor man living among the Gerasenes. And no matter how horribly organized the church may be, no matter how inept, no matter how bumbling and vain and just make the list as horrible as you want, Christ has sworn an irrevocable oath. It is his body and he cannot betray it. And in the sacraments, those salvific words are present so that the highly educated and the so-so educated and the people with no education at all can have an opportunity of coming and experiencing the power of those salvific words. The materiality of those salvific words in the signs that, this, that communicate them to the sacraments of water, bread, wine, the words of confession. This is what we turn to the church for. If we turn back to the, the man at Jesus' feet, something else that St. Mark highlights in his telling of the story is how very understandably this man wanted to communicate his experience, and he wanted to continue to be with Jesus. It's actually quite poignant the way that Mark narrates the story. He says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, there's been, uh, if you remember the story, there's the moment where Jesus sends the, the demons into a, a herd of pigs who were there, and the pigs go running off the cliff, and the people who were hurting the pigs were not too happy with this, and they come back and they ask Jesus to leave. We'll just leave that aside of what's going on with the pigs and the swine herds and all of that. But so Jesus accepts and he leaves and it's, he's getting into the boat. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged him that he might be with him. It's a beautiful moment. You see Jesus getting in the boat and this man realizing he's leaving. Please let me be with you. Why is he saying that? Because he's been saved. He's been saved. He's experienced the salvific power of Jesus' love. But Jesus refused. 
and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Of course, while it's moving and poignant, as I say, on the one hand, that him wanting to be with Jesus is a bit striking that Jesus doesn't allow him to come with the other apostles. But perhaps in that we can see how for each and every one of us, Jesus has a unique vocation. He wasn't calling everyone to be apostles, but he was calling everyone. And he was sending everyone, and he still is. It's not for all of us to do the same way, do the same thing, or live the same way. But it is for every single one of us to look at him, to see him, to hear him, to experience, to keep repeating it so that we can believe it more in our prayer, to experience that salvific power. And, of course, like this man, it simply makes sense that he would go, and as St. Mark says, he went and began to proclaim how much Jesus had done for him. It just makes sense. I mean, would this man, after what had happened to him, need a lot of reasoning about why he should tell others what happened or kind of let them in on his story? I, I don't think any of the apostles would have had to kind of convince him to do that. What about you and me? We might at first think, well, you know, nothing that dramatic has happened to me. You know, kind of my, I was born Catholic and here I am and you know, trying to do the best I can. You know, I've never had a dramatic conversion story. I don't have a cool testimonial story, right? Maybe we might be thinking, you know, kind of like here I am, you know, <laughs> this, is, this is me. Huh? We might kind of think, well, if I did, well, you know, then I'd be, you know, I don't know, I'd be putting videos on YouTube and people would be inviting me to conferences. And, you know, if I had a really cool conversion story like this person did, maybe it'd be a little bit different. But maybe, okay, fine, something that dramatic hasn't happened to us. But what about my experience of forgiveness, of God's mercy? What about my experience of salvation? The peace that follows from it. Isn't it true that I could be a little bit more willing to not hide that, to let it be known, in the very natural ways that we let ourselves be known in conversations and friendship, and that we not worry or be concerned if people are surprised or shocked at, you know, that we still go to Mass. I was speaking to someone a couple of weeks ago, and he was telling me, you know, some of his his friends at work were kind of like, you know, you go to Mass still? He's like, yeah. And they were kind of like, well, haven't you heard? <laughs> like, you don't have to anymore. <laughs> like, you know, it, 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 has the news not reached you? You know? And he's like, no, well, I do, and this is the reason why. And I mean, all of us have had similar experiences like that. But we need to embrace them, and we need to rejoice them. Why? Not because we're, we're trying to convince somebody else. We're not trying to checkmate them into agreeing with us. 
But because when I come to Mass, when I go to confession, when I pray, I'm encountering salvation. And that is what matters most. It is what redeems life. By redeeming life, I mean it makes it no longer be vain. Something that passes like water slipping through our fingers. It allows that life to be real, with meaning, lasting. It is as the rich man, young man asked Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Life to the full. That is what we experience as we allow ourselves week by week and confession by confession and in our efforts to pray to experience those words of salvation that we encounter in the sacraments and in our times of prayer. And if we think as well about this man going back to the Decapolis and letting everyone know about the mercy that God has shown, I mean, he was going back not as one of the kind of the worthies of the village. You know? People would be looking as like, oh, there's your man. This is the crazy guy who was running around without clothes on, you know, and around tombs smashing himself with rocks. I mean, who's going to listen to this guy? But he was humble. He had the humility to understand that when it came to talking about Jesus, he wasn't talking about himself, he was talking about Jesus. And when, when we allow ourselves to be known as Christians, we're not trying to get people to like us. We need to be moved by a real love for them. What is best for them? They need these words of salvation. Not because I judge them horrible people who need to be saved, but because all of us do. And especially, and especially in these, these days where, where evil and, the, and the, kind of the spectacle and the scandal of evil is so pronounced. And where in, in our country at least, and other parts of the world as well, people look at the church with suspicion. Look at Catholics with suspicion. Let's not allow that suspicion to bring about in us in an inferiority complex. On the contrary, we need a superiority complex. Because even though every one of us is weak and we've, we have our mistakes and we fall and we fail and we're needing of forgiveness, we have received a great treasure. The treasure that we've been trying to contemplate in our prayer and that treasure is not money, it's not tradition, it's not, it is the person of Jesus Christ who is always at our side, who is always with us. And as St. Teresa reminded us, he's asking that we look at him, that we listen to him, and that in so doing, we have the courage and the peace and the confidence to let ourselves be found out by those that we work with, those who know us, and through our cheerfulness and through our sincerity, allow that salvation to reach them as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations that you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.